Welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm your host and author, Kevin Hopkins, and today we're going to start our study in the book of Revelation with the prologue, which is Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The translation from which I'm reading is my own, so if it differs slightly from what you read along in any Bible translation, that would explain the differences. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things that must soon take place. He made these things known by sending his angel to his servant John, who now bears witness to all the visions he saw, that is, the message of God and the word of Jesus Christ. Blessed are both he who reads out loud the words of this prophecy and those who hear these prophetic words and obey them for the time is near. Revelation is one of the only books in the Bible, in fact, it's the only book that I'm aware of, that has both a prologue and a greeting. In most of the New Testament letters, you're used to hearing from Timothy to so-and-so, grace and peace to you and our Lord Jesus Christ, that kind of thing. But here, you have this statement of origin, a prologue that reminds us that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not the writing of John by himself. This is not some literary work. It's not simply an epistle, a letter. It is the revelation, the revealing, the unveiling is the Greek word of Jesus Christ himself. And this message, John is very clear, came from God the Father and was given to Christ, who then gave it to this messenger that has brought it to John. He he shows you almost the chain of evidence for the book of Revelation and says, this is where it came from. It has come to me through holy channels. It's a holy message and it's for you. And, and then he proclaims this this doxology. In verse 3, he says, Blessed are both he who reads out loud the words of this prophecy and those who hear the prophetic words and obey them, for the time is near. The blessing is, is really important. And I think in this little section of the scripture, there are two things that are really important. The first occurred in verse 1, where he says, God gave this message to his servant to show everybody else what must soon take place. There's an element here of predestination. Now, if you know me, uh, and as you get to know me, you'll learn that I'm no predestinationalist. But the message here is not about things that might take place. In the book, I, I discuss at length in one point Uh, The fact that as a young Bible scholar, I came to the Bible looking for what it might mean. And I I joyed in sitting with other men in an early morning Bible study at a friend of mine's seed company office and talking about different scriptures and what they might mean and, and kind of pressing the boundaries, exploring, as it were, the range of of what a scripture might be saying to us. But that's not really the purpose of biblical scholarship, is it? Because the Bible might mean 
any number of things. The quest is to find what it means for sure, for certain. What is this scripture saying? Not just to me. My personal revelation is really inconsequential. What is this scripture saying to the body of Christ, to the church? And and here, John is very clear that what he's about to discuss in this revealing are the things which must take place. They they have to happen. It's not that they might, uh, it's that they will. And there's no doubt about it. Now, we have to be careful in the 21st century that we don't take these truths and and kind of co-opt them with what we think might happen. We have to not change them to, to fit some previously contrived futuristic idea because they're not really futuristic visions. The book of Revelation is written in apocalyptic literature, which is a form of literature from the Old Testament. It appears nowhere else in the New Testament, but it's an an Old Testament device used by prophets like Daniel and Zechariah to describe in symbolisms the truths of the present reality and the ways in which God was working in that reality. They're not just future tellings. They're kingdom tellings. It's it's a, a device used to reveal what happens in the kingdom as it interfaces with this earth. And because sometimes the things of God kind of defy uh, exact description, apocalyptic literature uses symbols. Now, the symbols are not mystical. The symbols are used commonly, and they're fairly easily deciphered by a person with a Jewish mind. The problem with the book of Revelation is that we don't read it with Jewish-minded people anymore. In the early church, the, the congregations had been started among what had been previously Jewish synagogues. And so anytime a person would read the book of Revelation in their church, there were Jewish-minded people. There were people who'd grown up speaking Hebrew and Aramaic. There were people who'd grown up learning the symbols of Daniel and Zechariah and the Old Testament. There were people who could explain these things to the, the Greek Christians in the group with some surety and with some expertise. We don't have those people in our churches now. We have people who've been Christians all their lives, <clears throat> most of whom have never interfaced with a Jewish person or a synagogue or a rabbi in their lifetimes. And so we've, we've fallen prey to people who took the advantage of making these symbolisms so mystical that only they could reveal what they really meant, or only they could come up with the most fantastical of, of revealings that would capture our imagination. And people have made a lot of money writing books and, and speculating on what the book of Revelation might say or mean. And they've led us far astray with their imaginings. Uh, what I'd like to do is kind of debunk all of that and demystify it all and bring us back to the place where uh, we can say, this is at least what this meant to the people to whom it was written. And so here we start. <clears throat> he sent this message to us to show 
his servants the things which must take place. And we're going to talk throughout this book about whether they've already taken place or they have yet to take place. Uh, you'll, you'll find by the end of the book that I believe that just about all of this has already taken place. There's no mysticism to this. It is why the church exists and how it is to exist out into the future. And that's why John gives it to us. So that's the perspective you'll find me taking most of the time. Now we'll chase rabbits and we'll talk about what something uh, may have meant in different centuries, what kinds of things have happened that could be possible fulfillments of a particular verse, but we're not going to go too far afield. We're going to try and stick with just what the text says. When I wrote the first manuscript for this book, it was over 1,200 pages long. Now, if you've bought the book, you understand that it's only about 420 pages now. And no, there are not more volumes coming. I've reduced it down to a readable, in fact, sellable size. The publisher choked when I sent them a, a manuscript for a 1,200-page book because that size of book requires special reinforced binding. It's very expensive. It would have been a $180 book. And, and their question was, who's going to buy a $180 book? So we looked at reducing it into multiple volumes. Uh, that wasn't a very good idea. So I just took out a whole bunch of the stuff that I'd put into the book and reduced it to 420 pages. Well, in our little journey here, I'm going to put some of that back in so that you get the insight that is missing from the book. I think that's the value of the podcast. <clears throat> so this comes to us as the witness of things that must take place from the heart of God to his son Jesus into the hands of a messenger, an angel, who then gives it to John. And it comes with a blessing. I think it's essential to remember that the book of Revelation comes to us with a blessing. It's not meant to scare us to death. And, and I'm really kind of irritated at the people who throughout my life have used the book of Revelation to scare people to death. In the book, I talk about the fact that I grew up in the generation of the left behind. Of the, I'm sorry, they were called Thief in the Night movies. The Thief in the Night series was, I think, four films. There may have only been three. But each one of them took us through the, the dispensationalist view of the book of Revelation and all of the bad things that were going to happen to God's people until this magical rapture. And if you missed the rapture and then became a believer, all the ugliness that would happen to you until you were beheaded. That's how the series ended, was with the beheading of all the Christians. Uh, it was terrifying. And the truth is, when I first came to Jesus, it was at one of these showings of a, of a thief in the night movie, and I was terrified that I was going to be left behind and, and beheaded for believing, just believing in Jesus Christ. It's crazy. That's not evangelism. That's terror. Today, we, we recognize psychological terrorism, and that's exactly what that was. That's not deep. That's not kind. That's not blessing. And, and God hands us the book of Revelation as a blessing. It's meant to bless us and, and instruct us and inform us, open our eyes. It is a revelation. It's a revealing. 
It's meant to open our eyes to the things that God wants to do and is doing in this time and through all the time that's led up to now in Jesus Christ's kingdom and how he's preparing us to be a kingdom against the empire in which we live. So he says, blessed are both the one who reads these words and the one who does two things, hears them and puts them into practice. Throughout scripture, you'll find references to do not simply be hearers of the word, but doers of the same. And those kinds of things. Blessed is the person who hears my words and puts them into practice. Because simply hearing God's word fills us with his word. It informs us. But if it doesn't result in action, it's really come to no fruit. It's like growing a lemon tree in your backyard and having this beautiful tree that puts on beautiful green foliage every spring. It might even blossom and put on fragrant, beautiful flowers for a week or two. The flowers fall off and the fruit never comes. What a worthless lemon tree that would be. We didn't, we didn't plant it for flowers. We didn't plant it for foliage. We planted it to have lemons. And if they don't come, it's a disappointment. There's a story in the New Testament of Jesus cursing a fig tree because it wasn't bearing figs. Now, the crazy thing about that story is it wasn't even the season for figs. Jesus curses a tree for not bearing figs that aren't even in season yet. But apparently, it hadn't set on the fruit in order to bear it into the future when the season came. It, that, that little story is telling us that there are seasons of our lives when it's time to be filled with the word, when it's time to set on the fruit, and other times when it's time to, to bear that fruit and bring it to fruition, to harvest. But that little tree wasn't even setting on fruit for the coming season. So here's a blessing for those who are both setting on the fruit, storing up the energy and the word and the inspiration to begin to bear the fruit, and then who obey those words, who, who put them into practice, who bear that fruit. For the time is near. Now, finally, you get this, this little verse in, in verse 3, this little portion of a verse that says, for the time is near. Some translations have, for the time is at hand. That's a really good word picture of what John's trying to say here, or the Holy Spirit's trying to say through John. I keep tools on my, on my tool bench, and, and some that I use frequently, I keep close by. I can see them as I look across my tool bench. On my desk, now my desk would look like a horrible mess to most people, but it's organized chaos. There are stacks of materials to which I may need quick access, and so they don't get filed away. In my world, if it's not in sight, it's out of mind. It's disappeared from this, this version of reality, this universe. And so I don't file away things that I'm going to need soon. I stack them orderly and, and by a system that you would never understand. But when someone walks into my office and says, do you have this piece of paper? They're usually amazed that I go to the right stack about the right level, pick through a couple sheets and pull it out because I keep it at hand. I keep it nearby because I need it. 
The Holy Spirit says, Blessed are those who speak and hear these words and obey them because the time is at hand. The time that we're going to need these words is very close. Now that was true in the day that John wrote them, and it's true today because these are not way off in the distance, pie in the sky in the sweet by and by prophecies. These are prophecies for our lives in this moment, in this day. They're written to little bitty churches in what's now Turkey. In that day, it was the province of, of, of Eastern Asia. And, and in that province of Asia Minor is what we call it now. In that province of Asia, these, these little bitty churches were, were subjects of the Roman Empire. They had been subjects of the Ottoman Empire before the Romans conquered the Ottomans and, and they fairly peacefully became new subjects of the Roman Empire. It didn't matter who ruled them. They simply were ruled. They were, they were subjects. They were under authority that was broad and, and stifling, prohibitive, uh, at times punitive if they stepped out of line. And so it's easy when you're part of an empire like that to feel powerless. You and I live in a world where we feel pretty powerless a lot of the times. Most of what happens to us. I think I saw a statistic the other day that said 99.6% of everything that ever happens to us originates outside of our control. That's overwhelming. My world throws things at me every day that I didn't expect and that I don't always handle very well. In fact, I seldom handle those things well at first sight. They scare me. They surprise me. Uh, I, I, I dropped something the other day. I, had a, I, I just purchased a giant cup of, of refreshing uh, Diet Dr. Pepper, and I carried it into the classroom to teach seventh graders. And as I went through the door, a seventh grader came flying by me, running from someone who was chasing him, hit my elbow, and knocked my drink out of my hand, and all 44 ounces of my wonderful you know, anticipated refreshment just crashed to the floor and made an immense mess. Now, the kid felt so bad that he helped me clean it up very, very thoroughly, and he was very sorry. But I was the next four hours without my drink. And and I remember how that affected my entire morning uh, until I finally got a grip and said, it's just diet, Dr. Pepper. It's not the end of the world. You can drink water. It's better for you anyway. And I had to kind of have a little pep talk with myself to, to get out of being affected so profoundly by something so silly. But most of my life is that way. The big things are really overwhelming. Wars in Europe or, or around the world, you know, government authorities that crack down on different things in my life and liberties that I perceive that are in danger. Those things are much, much more profound. God wants to speak a word to you and I here and say the time that you're going to need these words is very, very close. It doesn't mean that the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. It means you're going to need these words in your life very soon. And so I pray that today you'll take this blessing with you. Blessed is the one who reads these words out loud and those who hear them and obey them, for the time is close. You and I live in close times, 
And so I pray today that you'll take the blessing of having heard these words, of having begun to make them a part of bearing fruit in your life, and that you'll take them into your world today and bear fruit to this blessing and be a blessing to others. Thanks. Make it a great day. Thank you.